Welcome to the Construction User 2.0 from the Association of Union Constructors. In this podcast, we explore the latest labor trends, industry insights, and important issues in the world of construction. Join us for conversations with industry leaders, subject matter experts, and innovative visionaries as we discuss how we are building the world of tomorrow. Let's talk a little bit about today's guest. As a corporate environmental health and safety professional, Terry DeSalt, founder of Yellowknife Consulting Services, has been Southern California's top safety expert for over 25 years. Terry specializes in preparation and implementation training programs related to Cal OSHA and Department of Safety and Health, EPA, and DOT regulations. Terry has an extensive background in environmental compliance on a variety of projects, including ones impacted with contamination from prior manufacturing and distribution operations. Prior to being a health and safety consultant, Terry accumulated 25 years experience as an environmental health and safety professional on environmental remediation projects, manufacturing plants, and aerospace. Please help me welcome Terry DeSalt. Welcome and you know, thank you so much for coming on with us today. I always like to start with just a ridiculous question. And so I've got to ask, what is the last song you had stuck in your head? Wow. Probably the Kenny Loggins Footloose song. Interesting. It's not, you know... I can't get that thing out of my head. Anytime I hear it, I have to turn it off immediately. Otherwise, it'll be in my head for a couple of days. Yeah, I always find that that makes it worse because then it's like unfulfilled profit. You, you, then you're like uh, getting things out of my head means I have to go listen to the song a time or two when it's gone. But that's a but yeah, no, the Kenny Loggins Footloose. I, I that's a good choice. Good choice. So you are a you know a corporate e environmental health and safety professional. Tell me a little bit, like, how'd you get there? How did, how did you end up in, in that profession? Well, that's a great question. And it, how it started was uh, I owned a business way back in the 90s. And I ended up selling that business and got into the environmental side of things, working for a company that was founded by John Wayne. Oh, wow. Okay. From there, it went to Big Oil and started working for ExxonMobil, Shell, some of the major players. So, I, out of curiosity, the, the the John Wayne company was it was it entertainment safety or like film safety, or did it did it was it always just kind of construction? No, interestingly, he was founded by a guy named John Ford, and he was a director, and they used to film a bunch of movies. And then they'd sell them to the studios and then they would take the money and they'd go party in Mexico. And when they ran out of money, they would uh, come back, film a couple more, sell them and so on. So one of the things that John Wayne really liked was being out on the ocean. John Ford had this yacht, so they would go out all the time. But the thing that he didn't like was that they would pump the bilges. And when they did that, he didn't like seeing the oily water go over into the ocean. So he founded an environmental company. And a lot of people don't know that he was an environmentalist at heart. I, I think that a lot of people would actually be. I, mean, I don't want to think that I think that would actually surprise some people. You know, you don't you don't think of the Duke and, and get a uh, and get a tree hugging kind of vibe. You know, I don't think that's but that is that's really cool. I didn't know any of that. Well, a lot of people really don't know that. And. The success of that company was huge. Yeah, it's. It, I could go on for hours about that, but 
And that was in Southern California. That was yes. Okay, and that's where you're from. You're down in what what part of the, uh, what part of the Southern California? Orange County. Fun stuff. Good area. Yeah. Well, so I mean, you've been working in environmental health and safety for 25 years. I can imagine, you know, you know, from that beginning that you just kind of described up through the, the some of the bigger, larger players. What have you seen change just in your career? Just what has the importance of safety? How has that evolved? The importance of it has changed drastically. I remember starting out in the environmental field and we'd go out to remediation projects and we were cleaning contaminated sites. And some of the PPE and the safety requirements at those times, I guess you could say, they weren't as strict as they are now. And so now there's a lot more oversight from, you know, OSHA, the local regulatory agencies and things like that. And safety's evolved a lot. So we started out with basic PPE, like work boots and a hard hat. And then it went to safety vests and eye protection and all these different things. And then you kind of see it a little bit in different um, industries, like even landscapers started wearing high visibility vests and things like that. And you never saw that before. No, absolutely. Just in my lifetime of, of you're right. You, you see the landscapers, the lawn mowers, even the, the flag men out, you know, just, just from the civilian sides, you see a lot more hard hats and high vis and far more highly visible high vis just in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's amazing. And I never really thought I'd be at the front end of the safety thing. Because it didn't, it just evolved into that. And I got some training through some of the oil companies and their expectations are high. So if you want to do work on their projects, you either comply or you don't get to work on them. (laughs) No, I, I definitely get that. My question, so a lot of that regards to just the everyday employee, you know, the everyday person is wearing the vest where they didn't used to be. The everyday vet person's wearing the, the helmet when they didn't used to. That's the safety standards across all people. But how about the, the kind of industry of safety professionals? The person, you know, when I was coming up, there was like, well, everyone's a safety officer. Everyone has the right to stop something if they see something unsafe. But, and they still do that. But now there seems to be more and more actual professional safety people. How has that industry evolved? Oh, that's drastically changed too. There's so many more programs in school that you can take for safety and you can get your certified safety professional. Uh, If you want to go into industrial hygiene, that's a whole nother thing. And there's just a lot of opportunity for safety professionals now. And it's, it's, I think it's great. No, absolutely. This is going to sound like a weird question. Like, why do people take safety seriously? Obviously, we know why people take safety seriously. But what do you think has changed in the last 20, 30, 40 years? I mean, you don't have to look back archivally very far to see insane coal mine pictures or insane remediation. You don't have to look very far back to see horrific conditions in both environmental health and safety. But now it seems to be really taking off and being a a real uh, presence. Why are people taking it so much more seriously in the last 20 years? Number one, I think there's just opportunities in those careers. That's one. The other part is, is that when companies start to struggle with having too many incidents, they, it actually decreases their competitive performance. Say that again. If a company 
has too many incidents and they start to build up and they have property damage, bodily injuries and things like that, it impacts their insurance, their profit and their competitive performance. So in some cases, uh, companies aren't even allowed to bid on projects if their EMR rating gets too high. And that gives, that gives their competitor a way in. So they can get disqualified from bidding on projects if the EMR is too high. So that's why it's important to take safety, you know, seriously. And obviously we want people to come home from work every day safe, you know. So I know that you work in developing training programs and, and, you know, uh, certifications and, and these pro. Do you find this is a hard sell or are people really eager and excited to get these certifications and training and safety? I think if, if you're talking about, you know, working with companies and trying to do training for their employees, it's pretty easy sell for people to come to me directly for training. Uh, sometimes that's a tougher sell because, you know, they're going to usually go to a, like a college setting or some kind of a, you know, OSHA training institute. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So the environment we know has been this very hot button issue for, you know, many years now. We have lead certifications coming out, lots of transitions through many industries going to battery power, solar, everything. Are we seeing any kind of correlation between the natural energy or or clean energy, all of this, the the environmental concerns and the and and what you do, the environmental health and safety and the the safety concerns, are those two correlated in any way? I don't really see it. I think that the safety industry is there. It's been there. I think with green energy and all the different things with the batteries that are being developed, the way it would impact the environmental side is that when they're doing a lot of mining, you're increasing a lot of risk there. And sometimes they have to mine new materials for a lot of these batteries and things like that. So there probably is some sort of increased regulations around some of the, the different types of mining that are being done. But I don't know how much of that is really affecting the U.S. Then kind of a, a sister question to that, how is the industry being affected? I mean, and you did just speak to it a little bit, but how is the industry these big shifts into, you know, we aren't doing as much petroleum, but we're doing these other mining efforts and we're doing battery plants as opposed to coal reproduction plants. How is our industry being affected by the environmental shift? I can say that a lot of existing battery recycling facilities in the U.S. that exist now are very, I guess you could say they're heavily regulated. So, you know, in order to maintain those operations, even just as is, not counting a lot of the new stuff that's happening, it's very difficult to to maintain. In fact, one of the biggest battery recycling plants in the U.S. was shut down a few years ago. And it created a huge problem because now a lot of that materials that were being recycled, if they have to go mine that lead, it actually creates a bigger impact on the environment that's negative. So it's better to try and keep those uh, companies in business. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of Exide Technologies. That's a national company that got shut down 
because they weren't really complying with regulatory standards. And those are this kind of like some of the same companies that would help recycle lead for green energy stuff. We've seen a lot of change over the industry, uh, both industrial construction and maintenance, as well as environmental health and safety. There's been a lot of changes, both infrastructurally and developmentally in the last 10, 15, 20 years. What do you think is next, specifically from the safety standpoint? You know, we have the high vis, we have a huge number more construction professionals. We have a lot of things changing. What's coming down the pipe from someone who's kind of been there for a long time? Uh, I think that some of the things that we'll probably end up seeing is, you know, systems that are probably more optimized and controlled for managing safety on different types of job sites. It'll probably be uh, some AI stuff mixed in with more robotics uh, for monitoring safety. It's already being used in, in some areas and it's being tested and it's highly effective. They could literally set cameras up on job sites that will screen workers and it can tell, uh, it can basically tell you if uh, workers aren't wearing PPE and that kind of thing. So it seems a little far fetched, maybe, but I, it's really not. It's the technologies there. So I think that that will be, you know, something that we'll see could be, it, could be really interesting. I'm kind of excited about it, to be honest with you. No, that sounds like it could be exciting. You know, anything that we, you know, keeps things safer in, in general. I think I would, I would refer to it more. It's like remote monitoring, you know, and not that um, a lot of people are not following the rules, but I think that the way they can use like LIDAR now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with LIDAR and how accurate that is. But they have ways to monitor environments completely different than they have ever had. You know, I mean, the technology is very advanced. So I think we're going to be able to, you know, control safety on in the job sites differently than we ever have. Like, for example, if I go out and do a job site inspection for a client, uh, I go out, I do an observation. I'm out on the job for a couple hours and I come back with a report. But that's a very small snapshot of time. And it produces a, I could produce a great report, but the window of time for monitoring uh, the workers needs to be larger uh, or greater if you want to really find out what kind of behaviors are occurring on job sites and then be able to tweak those behaviors before something bad happens. So I think. I think it'll be, it's going to get really interesting. It'll, it'll be fun. And I think it's going to open up even more opportunities for, uh, you know, you know, different uh, safety jobs and stuff. To give some context to my next few questions, actually. So we have, we have two conferences sort of coming up. One, one is in September. It's in Nashville. It's the Industrial Grade Innovation Conference and Expo. And it's all about industrial grade innovation. What's coming next? What new technologies? Everything you just said, the new LIDARs, the, the mechanics, the AIs, the, the robots. And then two months later in October, one month later in October, we have our Zero Injury Safety Awards, which is hosted by our sister organization. And it is for people that have incredible, incredible job sites with zero injuries over a vast number of hours. So, you know, pairing those two themes together, our Zero Injury Safety Awards coming up in October, as well as our Industrial Grade Innovation 
Expo just around the corner in in, uh, in September. I want to touch on both of those a little bit, you know, directly of of the technology which you've spoken to, but a lot is to keep the individual safe. Uh, the you know again the the new high vis, the new things that we are doing to keep that person safe. But what new things do you think might happen? You know, trench digging robots or the AI that will never put the person in harm's way to begin with. The the dangerous jobs that we are being able to offload or have done by not people. Yeah, that's. I think that's going to evolve as well. And I've already seen some videos recently of uh, excavators and heavy equipment that's being operated, you know, using uh, where there's like no operator inside, essentially. And I think that how that will change is that when you get into job sites where they have to do surgical excavations that are complicated, that they'll probably be able to just program that into the equipment. And once they, you know, hit go, that it will go in and probably excavate the area a lot more efficiently than a human can. Uh, So they're already, you know, experimenting with this stuff. And I've seen videos on it. And it's, you know, again, it's like... At some point in time, there's probably not even going to be need to be a steering wheel and a seat in some of this heavy equipment. So I, I, I think we'll see that happen for sure. I know that you specialize in preparation and implementation and training programs related for, you know, Cal OSHA and the Department of Safety and Health, the EPA and DOT. How is training for such a dynamic environment, something that is changing with so much in so with so much innovation coming down the pipe? So many. It's such a moving target. How do you accommodate for that? Such a dynamic environment. Well, it's kind of like occurring uh, all the time where these environments are changing. And with the regulatory agencies, one of the things that I'm involved in a lot is, you know, some of the sites that are the most contaminated ones in the in the U.S., specifically more here in California, though. And when you are working directly with the regulatory agencies, like the California Department of Public Health or, you know, some of the other agencies um, like the Department of Toxic Substance Control, they're involved in some of these cleanup uh, projects because they're state funded. And they're kind of like on the, I would say they're sort of on the front front end of trying to come up with different uh, ways or creative ways to do uh, cleanups that are more community friendly. And with that, there is a lot of different types of challenges that are presented. So they're, they're constantly looking at new ways of being able to complete these types of projects. And also in some areas, they want to even bring in members of the community to help with the cleanup efforts. They have these special uh, groups, you know, a lot of the Unions are involved in, in these uh, types of efforts. And so they will, they have like this project I worked on called the Works Program. And they basically slated a whole bunch of people from the community to go through different types of training, environmental training that they had, you know, that it was all new to them, but they, they really wanted to like get the, the community involved. And so, you know, when you're on those kinds of projects, the training, you have to really be 
able to like adapt. It's a dynamic environment that's changing all the time. So uh, on the projects, if you want to, you know, do work on those projects, you have to really work hand in hand with the agencies to figure out how are we going to train these people? Some of them have never even done construction or environmental work before, but they have a percentage of those people that they want involved in the projects. So it gets, it can get really challenging. But with the training, sometimes, you know, it's just a one-off where they say, hey, look, we need to do a special training on cultural sens- sensitivity for this particular area because we're bringing in uh, a bunch of new workers and, you know, they're going to be working in a residential community. And so we want to make sure that everybody understands the importance of cultural sensitivity. Uh, so it could be, you know, something as, as simple as that, you know. Uh, and it's not always directly related to safety per se. It might be the special needs of the project have to be met. And so that, that creates some challenges. And in those are things that, you know, as we progress in the industry and do these types of, you know, this type of work for the state agencies and federal agencies, there's a lot of different things that are required that most people would never think of, but they're important. Those are really important parts of the the projects. And so, you know, you have to comply and and figure out a way to to train people and bring them on board. You just touched on this and it's going to, it's like my second to last question, but it's safety isn't a one and done. You don't get your degree and go, I'm a safe person now. Talk to me a little bit about the need for continuing education and continued certification and keeping up to date in, in safety the thing is with, with this question is, you know, when I look at a book like a, an OSHA manual or a, a Cal OSHA uh, safety requirement manual, these books are three or four inches thick. Uh, there's a lot of standards in there. And th- there's no way one person, I don't care what school you went to, there, you can't learn all the standards. There's too many. There's, you know, if you could, that'd be amazing. But then you get into, aside from, you know, your state and your federal standards, you also have the EM385-1, which is like the military standards for working on, you know, uh, bases and, you know, military projects. And a lot of, a lot of customers now or companies are adapting and they're using that as their baseline standard for everything. And that's the, like the gold standard in safety. And when you, when you're working on projects that are like EM385-1, those types of standards, it's even, it's even much more than anybody would ever imagine. So it's kind of like one of these fields where it's impossible to be an expert. So you really have to kind of look at yourself internally or your organization and say, what standard do we want to, you know, train our people to and or as an individual, what's most important for me in order for me to achieve the goal that I want to achieve? I like that. I like that. Well, then my last question is just, you have an, an incredible career having, you know, started off working for you know John Wayne's company all the way through having your own consultancy that does all this really cool and impressive continuing safety and health stuff. What is the, what is the, what do you want to leave us with? What is the one thing you, you know, what, uh, what does safety mean? Why is it important? Why do people need to take it seriously? By working safe, 
it creates more opportunities within your organization. Because when companies have to pay out a lot of money for losses, whether it's a bodily injury, a property damage, a misdirected waste issue where hazardous waste got sent to the wrong disposal facility and it cost the company $750,000 and $400,000 a year in increased insurance premiums, which actually happened. That takes away a lot of money from the pool of money that's uh, maybe available for uh, workers to get training, bonuses, you know, better wages and things like that. So, you know, there's a bigger picture to working safe. It's, you know, protect ourselves, protect property, protect the environment, and try and really help your company be uh, safe so that there's more opportunity for everybody. And that's really what I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a, it's a, there's a lot more to it than just what people may think, you know? And so I look at it like that, whatever you can do to prevent a loss, you know, and we all should share in that responsibility. So by looking out for each other, you know, calling each other out, if there's something, you know, I'm not doing something safe and somebody says, Hey, you know, uh, there's a better way to do that you know, and here's why. And there, you know, it takes a lot of coaching. And I think in the industry, you have to kind of have a thick skin and be able to have open dialogue with one another uh, that so that you can prevent these kinds of incidents. Communication is key. Well, sir, I really appreciate you coming on today and talking to us a little bit about safety and the stuff you've gotten to see and do and what we think we can expect coming down the future. Looking forward to hearing more about you and, and maybe following up with you uh, in, in the months and years to come. Excellent, Kurt. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the opportunity. You've just listened to the Construction User 2.0 podcast from the Association of Union Constructors. Don't forget to subscribe to get all future episodes of what is going on and what is current in the union construction and maintenance industry. 